0: change ourselves we can't change our behavior there's only one that can and that's the lord jesus christ and when he touches us he makes us whole can i get an amen well praise the lord thank you worship team good good worship tonight amen well i'm going to have you to open your bibles we are we we finished the book of jude and uh so we're, we're starting a new study tonight, and I'm excited about it. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be good. And um, we're, going to be, we're going to be dealing with, for a while, uh, three chapters in the book of Matthew. And, um, you know, three chapters. That shouldn't take too long, and uh, we should get through that. But three chapters, chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and that's where I want you to go tonight. Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7, which is a, uh, the most famous sermon that was ever given. And known by everybody, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I mentioned this on Sunday, that uh, two sermons that Jesus gave, one at the beginning of His ministry and one at the end of His ministry, and both were given on, on mountains, they were different mountains, but this one, this sermon here was given on a mountain that was near Capernaum, near the Sea of Galilee. And um, this sermon began the ministry of Jesus, or was at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. But then, at the end or near the close of His ministry, He gave what we know as the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25. When He talked about the... Uh, the signs of the times, and when the disciples asked him, you know, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the world, at the end of the age? And um, he gave those signs of his coming, and that was a very important message that he gave. And it was on a mountain as well. But we're going to deal with um, the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm, uh, I, we're, we're going to talk about, of course, the first, the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. Are what we know as the beginning of this sermon is the Beatitudes. And everybody's familiar with the Beatitudes. And so there are nine Beatitudes that are given here by the Lord Jesus. And uh, that begins this sermon. He begins by telling about the blessings, about the blessings of living for uh, the Lord, or living in the kingdom of God, being a part of the kingdom of God. And so um, we're going to deal with these Beatitudes uh, this for the next few weeks. Like I said, there's nine of them, and we'll just go through here and, and study these 12 verses uh, to begin with talk about these Beatitudes over the next few weeks. But tonight, we're going we're gonna to just get into this and begin to give a little introduction, give some introductory uh, ideas and thoughts. And then, uh, hopefully, we can touch on a couple of the Beatitudes as well. So, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter number 5, we're going to be reading there and starting with verse number 1. They'll be putting it up on the screen. If you got it, say, Amen. All right, verse 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into, uh, on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I can't wait till we get there. who were before you. Hallelujah. Father, add your blessing tonight to uh, the reading of your word and help us to minister this to your people in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. As I said, Matthew chapter 5 here begins. The first recorded and the most famous sermon that was given by the Lord Jesus Christ, known as the Sermon on the Mount and um it's very fitting a very fitting title that's given to this to this sermon because the truths of this sermon and what is taught here by the Lord, if we follow this and and we 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 have these these things that he says here uh, produced in our life, and we operate in this, uh this sermon put into practice will elevate us. To some mountain levels of spiritual growth, how many believe that it'll bring us to a higher standard and a higher level of living for the Lord for God, of godly living? We've been talking about spiritual growth on Sunday mornings, and it just seems like this is something that the Lord has has got us a vein, a I guess you would say, so to speak, that the Lord has got us in right now. I'm talking about spiritual growth and maturity and I'm I believe it's very very important to us as believers that we that we do grow in grace as Peter said and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ there are no plateaus in spiritual maturity uh, when you stop growing, you go backwards. When you stop going forward, you go backwards when it comes to spiritual growth and development in the things of the Lord. So that's why it's very, very important for us to continue to go forward and to grow in the things of God. And so in this Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount tells saved people how to live and how to behave In their daily life. And I want you to get that. The Sermon on the Mount tells saved people. How many saved people we got? I believe you're probably saved. You wouldn't be here on Wednesday night. But uh, it teaches saved people how to live for God and how to behave in our daily lives. And what we see here in this in this beginnings of this sermon, in these Beatitudes, what we see here are the patterns of the life of the Lord Jesus himself. So if we emulate these, uh, these characteristics that are given in these Beatitudes here in Matthew chapter 5, we'll be emulating the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is all about living Christ-like, being more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we could all use a whole lot of teaching along those lines of being more Christ-like. Amen? And so Jesus here addressed this sermon. When he gave this Sermon on the Mount, and most of the time when you see pictures, if you see pictures of Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount, you've got Jesus there sitting there on the mountain, and you've got multitudes of people listening. But Jesus addressed this sermon. When He gave this Sermon on the Mount, it was primarily given to His twelve disciples. There were others that came and there were other, others that were present, but the teachings in this Sermon on the Mount in chapter five, six, and seven, these teachings were for the subjects uh, were for the subjects and those who were going to be and were a part of the kingdom of heaven. There, Jesus called his disciples there and we'll see that in just a little bit, but in this Sermon on the Mount he's, he's teaching and training Training his twelve disciples to prepare them and to get them ready for the ministry. This this is not an evangelistic sermon that Jesus is giving here. There's nothing here in the Sermon on the Mount here, or especially in these Beatitudes that we're going to look at, there's nothing here about the plan of salvation. It doesn't tell us exactly how to be saved. But what it does do, it describes the characteristics of a life of those who already know the Lord, who are in the kingdom and who know the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are saved. So in other words, tonight, if you and I know Jesus and we're saved, when we read these beatitudes, these are characteristics that we should see emulating from our life. Amen. The more like Jesus we get and the more Christ-like we get, uh, the more we will emulate these, these traits and these characteristics. So, you know, the unsaved, when, you, when talk about somebody that's unregenerated somebody that's never known uh, been born again doesn't know the Lord the unsaved are not capable of applying these principles to their lives because they haven't been born again I don't care who a person is they can take these principles these 12 verses and say well if you live by these then you'll go to heaven the thing is nobody can live by these that has not been first born again and got Jesus Christ living on the inside of them. How many many of you heard people saying, uh, you know, uh, I've heard it before. People would say, well, you know, I believe when you ask somebody, well, what do you think it takes to go to heaven? What do you got to do to make heaven your home? And some people say, well, if you just keep the golden rule, I just believe in keeping the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you and just keep the golden rule. You know, the problem with that is that nobody can keep the golden rule, if they're not saved. Come on, amen, if they're not born again. So that's the thing here that, that, that we, we understand that he's giving these principles and this teaching to his disciples. And the beginning of this sermon, the beginning of this sermon, as I said, is called the Beatitudes. Someone called these Beatitudes the attitudes that ought to be be attitudes. They're attitudes that ought to be. They ought to be in every Christian's life. They set forth characteristics of those who who are truly followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the standards of the Sermon on the Mount go far beyond the Mosaic Law. And you'll have to understand who Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to and he's ministering to those who have come up under the Mosaic law, who were taught to keep the law of Moses and to, uh, you know, to be adherents to that. But the principles that Jesus gives and the standards that he gives as we'll go through this, you'll see go far beyond the Mosaic law. You have people all the time that say, well, if you just keep the Ten Commandments, you'll go to heaven. And it's not about, ladies and gentlemen, it's not about keeping the Ten Commandments to go to heaven amen Uh, praise God because nobody throughout the Old Testament and all the history from the time of Mount Sinai all the way to to the time that Jesus died on Calvary no one had ever kept those ten commandments amen they had broken them they had had, uh, failed God time and time again and the only one that ever kept the Mosaic law and kept those commandments as a matter of fact what was there 613 commandments altogether but nobody was ever able to keep them except one man and his name was Jesus and when Jesus came amen he kept the law perfectly he never offended in one way he never missed it one time he never failed in one way but he kept the law perfectly can I get an amen amen so it goes beyond the Mosaic Law and, and, and these, uh, these standards here and this teaching of the Sermon on the Mount demands not only righteous actions, but it demands righteous attitudes. And you'll find out through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus, you know, later on he said to them, you have been taught or you have heard uh, said of them of old time, you shall not Kill or you shall not murder, remember that, but then he goes on to say, But I say unto you that if you're angry with your brother uh, without a cause you've you've already you're guilty of that, amen, and if you hate your brother in your heart so so Jesus goes even farther than the Mosaic law into being uh, righteous in our attitudes in our in our demeanor so it 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 demands that men not only do that which is right, but the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount demand that men and women be right. It's not about doing something good. It's not about doing this or doing that. It's about being right with the Lord. Come on, somebody. Amen. It's about who you are and what you have on the inside. And I'm going to tell you that the only way that we can do right, the only way that you can do right. Every time I say that, I think of an old cartoon you see when I was a little boy. Dudley Do-Ride of the Mounties. Amen. Amen. <laughs> But but the only way that you or I can do right and to live right and to do as we should do is that first of all, we have to be right in our heart. And the only way to be right is to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Amen. We cannot, nobody can, not one of us can live up to these divine standards in and of our own self, our own ability, no matter how much we want to, or desire to it's not in the flesh to do that we must have supernatural power that will enable us to live this lifestyle that Jesus lays down here amen and these are the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ so we need him we need to know him and we need him on the inside of us to live these things out because it is only through the power of the Lord Jesus living on the inside Inside of us that we can live this kind of a life conduct flows out of our character are you with me conduct our conduct flows out of our character and when an individual becomes saved and they are born again there is a change in their character and so there's a change in their behavior and in their conduct amen that's good preaching right there praise God not because of who's doing it because that's what the Bible teaches there has to be a change of character and a change of behavior and Jesus is the only one who can do that in our lives amen not following any religion it's not about following some kind of creed it's not about obeying some kind of a catechism it's not any of those things it's knowing personally Jesus Christ that epithet Gnosis we talked about, uh, that Peter talked about in, in 2 Peter 1. It's knowing Him as Lord and Savior and having Him to develop His life on the inside of you and I. So the very first sermon that Jesus preaches, He begins with the theme of great joy and happiness. Did I tell you this is these beatitudes here are the blueprint for happy living. They're a blueprint for happiness and so Jesus, in his very first sermon, um, begins here to talk about how to be blessed of the Lord. how many want to be blessed? Amen We hear a lot about the blessing and so that's exactly what Jesus Begin here. He used the word blessed or blessed nine times here in, this, uh, in this, these 12 verses in these Beatitudes. And uh, over and over, he said, Blessed are this one, and blessed are these, and blessed are these. So we, we want to look at that word, that, that word blessed. What does that mean to be blessed? I think we need to know because he used it nine times. But the word blessed there means fortunate. It means to be fortunate or to be, uh, to be happy. Amen. I'm trying to find something here. i want to read to you. To means to be fortunate or to be happy. Um, I, every time I read these Beatitudes and in reading and studying them this, this week, it, it brought to my remembrance Psalm 1, the very first psalm. Uh, is begins with that very word blessed and it says blessed is the man of course we know it means man or woman and uh, it means every individual but blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or sits uh, or in the way in the seat of the scornful or you know stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law does he meditate day and night He. Shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So he starts off the very the book of Psalms starts off with that word blessed. But it means to be fortunate or happy. And what I wanted to read was um the amplified translation. In the Amplified Translation, uh, the Amplified, you know, it's the Amplified is more of a more of a commentary, and that's what I use it for, because the Amplified puts in there the meanings of those Greek words and amplifies the text. So you get an idea of what the Greek words that were used there mean. And so let me read to you, and they, they give the definition of this Greek word blessed, and they put it in the text here in the Amplified, and in, in, in that third verse of Matthew chapter 4 five and let me read it to you the amplified says blessed happy to be envied and spiritually prosperous with life joy and satisfaction in god's favor and salvation regardless of the of their outward conditions man hallelujah that's that's a mouthful right there amen that'd be hard to remember all that but it's but it's Blessed to be happy, to be envied, spiritually prosperous with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor and salvation regardless of their outward conditions. That's what it means to be blessed. But it goes much deeper than just happiness as you can see there from that that amplification of the word blessed. It implies to be blessed implies a deep inward abiding joy and that's what the this word implies it's a joy that outward prosperity cannot give you. Come on. It's a joy that, that, that affliction and adversity and trials and troubles and problems that come your way cannot take away from you. It's a joy that you can have regardless, as that text said, of the circumstances that you're fa- uh, facing in life. You can have joy. You can have peace regardless of what you're going through tonight. Can I get an amen? That is being blessed. Hallelujah. Blessed are those. So you are blessed tonight. Come on. Do you believe that God wants you to be blessed? Do you believe that God? God has a blessing upon you do you believe that when you got born again and came into the kingdom of God into the family of God that you came into the blessing of the Lord amen oh I'm blessed somebody everybody are just saying I'm blessed Hallelujah, blessed and highly favored (laughs) in the Lord Jesus Christ. I I, I love Deuteronomy 28, man, because even in that old covenant, you know, God told them, he said, if you'll obey uh, my my commandments, if you'll walk in my ways, if you'll keep my statutes, he said, I'm going to bless you. All these blessings will come on you and they will overtake you and you will be blessed in the city and you'll be blessed in the field and blessed will be your basket and blessed will be your storehouse and everything you set your hand to I will bless. Oh hallelujah I'll bless you coming in and I'll bless you going out praise God I I, I saw I, I wished I'd have bought it one time but I saw a a doormat a, a, a doormat, door and on one side it said blessed coming in on the other side it said blessed going out so it would just remind you that when you're coming home you're blessed. When you're Even for work, you're blessed. When you come in the house, you're blessed. When you go out, you're blessed. You're blessed in the city and you're blessed in the country. Hallelujah. Some people say, well, if I just had a change of location, it don't matter, amen, if you know the Lord, if you're living for Him, you're in the blessed category. You're not cursed, but you are blessed in the Lord. Somebody ought to give Him praise tonight. Woo! Well, forgive me for preaching a little. I felt the preach come on me. Hallelujah! But, it, but 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 affliction and adversity and trials and tribulations and tests and problems of life and whatever we may go through cannot take away this this inward deep peace and abiding joy. This happiness and abiding joy that comes from knowing the Lord. Now, you know, circumstances can cause happiness. The first three letters of happiness are H-A-P, HAP. So that means that to be happy, just to be happy many times, depends upon what's happening in your life, right? Right? If if everything's happening, you know, that's good, you'll be happy. But if things are happening that are bad, you won't be happy. And we all get in that situation sometimes, amen? But... What I'm talking about tonight and what Jesus is talking here about being blessed is this individual is not talking about anything that has to do with circumstances or what's going on in your life. What he's talking about is having that deep-seated joy and that happiness and that peace on the inside of you even in the midst of adverse circumstances or situations. Come on, you know, the children of Israel had a problem with that back in the wilderness they had a problem with that when things were going good they were they were playing the tambourine when the dead Egyptians were floating up on the seashore they were playing the tambourines and shouting but when they go three days in the wilderness with no water and they come to the bitter the bitter springs and and uh, waters of Myra then they're complaining when they when God turns the water uh sweet and they go down to uh Elah where there's uh, Palm trees and oasis, they're having a good time. A little while later, they got in the water, they're complaining again. Somebody ought to help me tonight. (laughs) But I don't know nobody here has that problem. It's kind of like the ocean, you know. You've been on the ocean, you know, sometimes the surface of the ocean is very changeful. It can change, and it can change in, in a hurry, we found out on a cruise one time. Uh, You know, sometimes that that ocean can be just like glass. I mean, it can just be uh, calm, and it can be waveless, but then other times it's tossed by stormy winds. But no matter what's going on up on the top of that ocean, we we went to uh, uh, Ironton the other day on Monday, and when we passed, it was was a windy Monday? Y'all notice the wind. We passed by Lake Hannah out there. Lake Hannah was white-capping. I mean, uh, there was some, you know, some turmoil and turbulence going on, and that happens in the ocean. But no matter what's going on on the on the surface of the ocean, deep down below the surface, there's continual, consistent rest and peace and silence. Everything's nice and calm and quiet down there, and that's the way that it can be, and that the Lord wants it to be for the believer, for the Christian. When storms are raging all around, on the inside, there can be calm and peace. Jesus experienced that in the storm on the boat. When he was asleep and the disciples were having a fit, but Jesus was asleep. So human happiness is dependent on circumstances, but Jesus gives inward contentedness that is not affected by the circumstances. And so this is a reality, folks, that only believers who have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in them know. Jesus wants us to have fullness of joy. Amen? Blessed to be envied, fortunate, happy is this individual that knows the Lord and Lives this lifestyle. He said he wanted our joy to be full. And folks, it's a joy and it's a peace and it's a blessedness that the world cannot give. And the world cannot take away. And these beatitudes that Jesus gives here are not just simple statements. They are exclamations of reality. What he says here concerning these these individuals, these are exclamations of reality that are to be a reality in our life. They're not prophecies of some future bliss. Oh, I know we'll have all these things when we get to heaven. We sing about that. I'm looking forward to going to heaven. I know when we get there, there'll be no sickness. There'll be no sorrow. There'll be no pain. There'll be no doctors and hospitals and and cemeteries and all of that and mortuary. There'll be none of that. We're going to escape all those things. But I'm going to tell you, you don't have to wait to get to heaven to enjoy the blessings and the benefits of God's peace and joy and 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 provision in your life right now come on amen hallelujah Amen. I'm looking forward to getting to heaven. But praise God. He's he's making declarations here of a blessedness which exists for you and I right here and right now. And you can have God's blessings. You can have God's happiness, His peace, His joy right now, today on March 1st. Praise the Lord. So the Beatitudes... They're sayings, and they're, they're saying to us, oh, the bliss of being a Christian, the happiness of knowing Jesus as my master and my Lord and my Savior. That's my introduction.. <laughs> Verse one, he said, "And seeing the multitudes, he went up. On a mountain. You don't mind if we don't get in a hurry and rush through these, do you? I mean, we've got to the rapture. Praise God. He went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, notice this, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them. Taught who? His disciples. Saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is... The kingdom of God. Now, when you read the context here of, um, I won't take the time to read it, but you can read it, mark it in your Bible and read it. But in the previous chapter, chapter 4 of Matthew, uh, Jesus has began his ministry, the Galilean ministry and in verses 23 24 25 he had preached throughout all Galilee and it tells there I love to preach from that passage because it tells there about how Jesus was going about it and is healing so many people there were so many healings and miracles that were taking place and the people when they when they 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 were bringing sick folks to him from everywhere from Syria and from all areas Decapolis and the areas around about when they heard of this and and learned about this amazing new preacher, young preacher that had healing power, they sought Him and they followed Him. And, And great, not just crowds, not just a multitude, but it said that great multitudes followed Him. Oh, my Great multitudes followed him because they were seeking after what he could do for them. They wanted to hear him. They wanted him to touch them. They needed ministering to. They needed healing. Do you know there's a lot of people out here in this world today that needs exactly what Jesus has for them, that needs exactly what the church has for them, amen? We need, We need. that's why we need Jesus in the church and the power of the Lord present in the church that will still save and heal and deliver and break yokes and loose people from their bondages of sin. Amen. It's not enough just to come together and have a church service or have a meeting. We need Jesus to be in our church and in our midst. Come on. Amen. Hallelujah. So the sermon here was given to the disciples. It said that, that, that when he saw these multitudes and they were coming in groves, that he went up. Jesus goes up into a mountain. He sits, he, he sits down and it said that his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and began to teach his disciples. A little later on in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, more people did come to that and and he addressed them as well. But right now, he's teaching his disciples. He's teaching them about the kingdom and kingdom life and how to live and how how they're going to have to live to deal with the ministry that he's calling them to. These are the men that are going to, to be the nucleus of this new church that's going to be birthed in three and a half years on the day of Pentecost and he's training them and teaching them these are the initial things that he taught them. Amen. So he's he's directing this teaching to the twelve. That's an unknown mountain somewhere near Capernaum. We don't know exactly what mountain it was but it was there near Capernaum and he sits down and teaches the people. He's not teaching them a fiery sermon but he just he sits down on the side of the mountain as the rabbis did at that time and he teaches them and opens his mouth and begins to teach them and he says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God this is the first beatitude blessed are the poor in spirit what does he mean about what does he mean by that? Who are the poor in spirit? What does it mean? I want to know what it means to be poor in spirit because I want that blessing. Come on, amen. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, before we talk about what it does mean, let me mention what it does not mean because uh, a lot of times people, people uh, get the idea that this means that you are to be spiritually weak or you're to be in poverty or you're to have some kind of false humility. But that is not what Jesus is talking about and what he means by the poor in spirit. Some say, well, this, this means To be poor in spirit means that you are spiritually weak and you'll be blessed if you're spiritually weak. Well, that doesn't even make sense. Amen. Spiritual weakness and deadness, saints, uh, that's not a blessing. It's not a blessing from God to live in defeat. It's not a blessing to be controlled by temptation and always falling into sin. That's not a blessing. It's not a blessing, amen. To to uh, to to live a life of spiritual deficiency. And Jesus here is definitely not commending a life of spiritual deficiency. Well, just to be poor in spirit means that you're just spiritually weak. That. That's not what he means. The secondly, you know, there are those that have took this, and and there are a lot of religions today that teach from this verse and teach that, that you are blessed if you are materially broke and busted and disgusted. That you're blessed, it's a blessing to be in poverty. And that is not, listen to me, now that's not what Jesus is saying. He does not, in no way does the Bible ever call material poverty a blessing. Never does. I mean, you know, people have taught that over the years. Maybe not as much now as they used to, but... um, but if that's the case, if it's a blessing to be poor and to be broke, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ungodly, wicked people then that are blessed just by being, being broke. And, and so it's not a blessing. And I know there's, listen, I know you cannot gauge, and we do not gauge somebody's spirituality and where they are with God by how much money they have. The Pharisees believe that. That's why they believe Lazarus wasn't saved and the rich man was. But we found out from that story that the tables were turned. Amen. So you can't, you can't gauge uh, how spiritual somebody is by the kind of car they drive, or the kind of house they live in, or by their bank account. You can't tell that because there are people that are financially well off that are saved and there are people that are in poverty that are saved. Amen. Yet they're rich in faith and rich in the things of God. So, poverty's not a blessing. Poverty's not a good thing. Jesus would never call people living in the slums or people that are homeless or people that are without food, that are hungry. He would never say they were blessed. So, poor in spirit is not poverty of purse and he's not teaching that to be godly you must be in poverty and there's a lot of religions that teach that but what does it mean to be poor in spirit what does that mean to be poor in spirit the greek word the greek word that's translated poor there describes here's what it describes now listen it describes someone who is in absolute and abject poverty. Now, wait a minute. You just said that it wasn't. This, this poor in spirit was not being in poverty. But wait a minute. The Hebrew words and the Greek words, there's several of them. I think there was nine Greek words that are translated poor. But they describe, the the, the Hebrew words describe a person who has no earthly resources whatsoever nothing whatsoever he's completely and totally destitute but because of that he puts his entire trust in the Lord it's not the fact that he's destitute or without but it's the fact that he's depending on the Lord for everything David made the statement in Psalm 34 and 6, and he said, this poor man cried. Now, David was not. Notice, David was not a poor man materially, was he? He was the king. Huh? Y'all, you're not zoning out, are you? You're still here? He was the king, but yet he said, this poor man cried out. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Amen. So he was not referring to being a poor man materially or financially, but he was referring to being a poor man in spirit. In other words, spiritually he knew that without God, without the Lord... He couldn't make it, not one single day. That's what it is to be poor in spirit, to know that you're destitute and you're completely helpless, hallelujah, completely and totally without any resources whatsoever unless the Lord is on your side. But to know, hallelujah, that whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whether you've got a lot or whether you've got a little, to know and depend upon the Lord and to know that he is there for you and he will help you and your faith is in him and your confidence is in him and your trust is in him praise God blessed are those the poor in spirit for theirs he is the kingdom of heaven can you give him a amen tonight amen <laughs> Woo! hallelujah See, to be poor in spirit means to acknowledge our utter lack in the face, in the things that we face in life. And, 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 and you know, the things that we, that we face uh, apart from God, it's to acknowledge that the real blessings of life and eternity come only from a right relationship with God only from a right relationship with God. The blessings come only from knowing Him and having our dependence upon Him. And I've heard people say, you know, well, you know, I, I you know, yeah, I'm I'm my own man. I I work and I make my money and I've done this and it's me and mine and this. Never give the, the Lord any any credit whatsoever. Well, I'm going to tell you, yeah, we've got, yeah, we work and we, we work jobs and we make a living, but it's the Lord Lord. It's still the blessing of the Lord. Whether that individual's saved or not, if they've got the health and the strength and the ability to do that job, it's from the Lord. And we need to understand and realize tonight as believers, as Christians, that our help doesn't come from the east, and it doesn't come from the west, and it doesn't come from the south, but our help comes from the Lord who created the heavens and the earth. Hallelujah, my confidence is in him doesn't matter if all my bills are paid and I've got money in the bank I'm trusting in him hallelujah I'm still trusting in him some people only want to trust him when they're broke some people only want to trust him when they're in need but I'm telling you the poor in spirit trust him every single day of their life and they know that without the Lord they cannot make it one single day I'm poor In spirit, depending upon the Lord. Because without Him, I am destitute. Woo, hallelujah. Oh, praise God. Praise God. I feel good tonight. Amen. Our, Our entire trust, complete trust, we realize His own, our own helplessness. And our trust is in the Lord there's a an old Southern gospel song came to my mind today when I was studying I haven't heard it in a long time but it's uh, you probably some of y'all may know it. some of y'all may not like southern gospel music I do but there's a song that says "I can't even walk." Without him holding my hand. How I many familiar with that? Amen. That, that, one of, that second verse of that set song says, I thought I could do a lot on my own. I thought I could make it all day long. I thought of myself as a mighty big man. But Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand and the chorus says oh Lord I can't even walk without you holding my hand the mountains too high and the valleys too wide it's down on my knees is where I learn to stand cause I can't even walk without you holding my hand see that's being poor in spirit that's having that attitude and that trust and that confidence in the Lord that without him you can And not make it. Amen. Woo. Hallelujah. I'm about to shout. Amen. I tell the Lord that every day. And I know he knows that. But I still tell it to him every day. Lord, I can't make it without you. I need you today. And I, I say I'm glad that you're with me. I thank you that the Holy Ghost lives in me and Lord I'm not depending on, on my own strength and I'm not putting any confidence in my own, own ability or in my flesh but I'm putting my trust today in you Lord today this is a good prayer to pray ladies and gentlemen today I'm giving you this day Lord give me your wisdom give me your guidance give me your direction speak to me through your word lead me Holy Ghost cause I'm I can't even walk one step unless you're holding my hand. Lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Praise God. I need him every hour of every day of my life. Come on. Amen. Give him praise. (laughs) Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Praise God. Man, I got too much to say. But it realizes this attitude that Jesus, this be attitude, this attitude that must be realizes I have nothing and I can do nothing without Jesus. Woo! But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, come on. Amen. Oh, that's worth the price of admission. This poor in spirit is the total absence of pride and self-reliance. Amen. Because in ourselves, getting back to that meaning, that Greek meaning of that word poor, which means totally destitute and bankrupt, and in ourselves we are bankrupt, completely spiritually bankrupt, but... But... In the Lord, we're rich. Woo! Hallelujah! In the Lord, we're rich. Those who are poor in spirit yield to God for Him to make us all that He wants us to be. And see, when when you've got that absence from pride, from self reliance, when you're when you're totally committed to the lord when you're yielded to him when you're when you're trusting him to mold you and to make you and to lead you and to guide you and to live in you it sets you free it sets you free from the praise of people. It sets you free from the quest of prestige. It sets you free from the circumstances of life and from the things of this world. If you need nothing but God, no one can be a threat to you. Hallelujah. When you make up your mind, I need God and Him alone, I'm going to please Him and Him alone. Amen. It doesn't matter what anybody does to you, what they say about you, it will free you up and nobody can be a threat to you. Amen. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let me read Isaiah 50. It's ten after. I'm, I'm hurrying. I'll be done here in a minute. We're not going to get to the second beatitude. I guess you knew that. Until next week. Isaiah 57, 15, he says, For thus is the, the high and lofty one. That's God, right? For thus is the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Where does God dwell? He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. With him who has a contrite and humble spirit. Where does God dwell? With him who has, he's talking about being poor in spirit. Who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. How many want Him to revive your spirit? He he resists the proud. Isn't that what James said? That God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And to the humble, he said he would revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. So listen, we're talking about revival. We're talking about revival, having a revival in this church. Not just calling in a preacher. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spirit of revival, a personal revival in each and every one of our hearts and lives. Where does that come from? Right here, he said, he would revive the heart of those who are contrite. Those who are humble before him. Those who realize they need him more than they need anything else. And so he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For here's the reward. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Woo! Hallelujah. Amen. God is preparing a kingdom. But that doesn't alter the fact that the kingdom now belongs to us. And I'm not preaching dominionism or kingdom now theology, but to the the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. You are a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven on earth right now. It's in the state of and the stage of and the realm of, I guess is the word I'm looking for, the realm of profession. Because when you profess Jesus as your Lord and you got born again and you made him the Lord of your life, he took you out, the whole my Lord help me Jesus he took you out of the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of Satan from under the authority of the powers of darkness he delivered you Colossians 1 13 says he delivered you from the kingdom of darkness and transferred you over into the kingdom of his dear son when you became poor and humbled yourself in spirit before the Lord and made him the Lord of your life he brought you into the kingdom of his dear son. You're a part of that kingdom now. You're enjoying the blessings of that kingdom in this life, in your life today. Come on, amen? But there is more to this kingdom that is to come and we're still praying your kingdom come Uh, and your will be done in earth as it is in heaven and when Jesus comes back at his second advent, he will set up his earthly kingdom and we will just move from the realm of profession in this spiritual kingdom of God into the real, literal kingdom of God because we have been poor in spirit and given ourselves over to him. Amen. And we are part of the kingdom of God. Amen. It's kind of like when you buy a new car or order a new car. Like, Corey and Katie did here a couple of years ago. They wanted to get a car. My son did that here a couple of years ago. He ordered a new Toyota Tundra. Well, I didn't think he was ever going to get it because they're waiting for chips from Taiwan or somewhere. Amen. But he ordered that new truck and it took him a while before he actually possessed it or drove it. But all the time he was waiting, He still had a truck. It belonged to him. It was his. But he just hadn't gotten full possession of it yet. Amen. He was waiting. The kingdom is ours. We're a part of his kingdom, but we just hadn't got full possession of it yet. But oh, one of these days, praise God. We're right now we've got a right now, we've got the earnest of our inheritance, just a portion of our inheritance, just a down payment. An earnest money is a down payment. You put earnest money down on the house to hold it. It's your down payment. And he has put, he sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. Amen. Which is the earnest of our inheritance. It's the down payment. Amen. That says that the rest is on the way. Hallelujah. Every time, what I'm feeling right here tonight, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. And every time I feel his presence, feel his spirit, worship him, and he gives me that assurance on the inside. That is his seal letting me know that the best is yet to come. Hallelujah that's just a down payment of what he has for me. You and I are in his kingdom tonight but that's just a down payment of what we're going to have. When the trumpet sounds oh hallelujah this old mortal body will put on incorruption and immortality and receive that glorified body. I can't wait until we see the fullness of the literal kingdom of God. God manifested in our lives and in this earth. Woo, hallelujah. Praise God. Blessed, that's why he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, hallelujah. I've got to quit. Praise God. Father, thank you tonight for these great and precious promises that you've given us thank you lord for we know that the kingdoms of this world will soon fall every one of them not one of the kingdoms of this world will last but oh your eternal kingdom will last forever we thank you tonight for your precious word and we thank you that you've brought us into your kingdom To be your sons and daughters, part of the family of God. Bless your people tonight. Bless your church in a special way. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.